the same revelation uh, or, or the same uh, uh, perspective of the revelation that Jesus did. And, uh, but the fact is, our potential is there. The potential of Christ is there because he does say it's the same spirit. It's not a different spirit. And this was the Spirit, capital S, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is what it's referring to. The Holy Spirit raised up Jesus from the dead. Amen. Remember he was standing out the tomb of Lazarus. And of course Jesus purposely postponed his trip. And Lazarus died. In other words, Lazarus got sick and Jesus postponed his trip. And he shows up to Lazarus' tomb to show forth the power of God in action. And they all thought it was the end of Lazarus. So basically it was the end of all the things that Jesus was talking about. But he said something to Mary. He said, he said this, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He didn't say I have resurrection or I've come to give resurrection or I've come to raise the dead. He said, no, no. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And when he stood outside the tomb and he told them to roll the stone, they give him a hard time about rolling the stone away. And he said, he said this, he said, lather has come forth. The body actually came up and was at the front of the entrance of the tomb. And they, Jesus had to give the command, unwrap them, loose them, let them go. Amen. I'll get to that in a minute. But this scripture where it says in Romans 8, 11, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and I. That's an eye-opener, it's a revelation that we shouldn't take lightly. Amen. We should explore it more, we should examine it more, we should meditate and pray about it more. Then there's, if that spirit is in us, then basically the same life that, or the same power that raised Jesus back to life dwells in us through the name and through the power of Christ, we can also give out life. I'm not talking about just raising the body, but we also have the ability of Christ to offer eternal life to anybody that we can, using what Jesus told us to use. That same power will come upon somebody else through the words, through the encouragement, through the preaching, through the prayer, uh, through the uh, confession of faith, whatever you want to say it, can transfer from us to another person to where they can be born again. How many here are born again this morning? See? Did Jesus himself talk to you? Or was it somebody else? Somebody else activated the Holy Spirit, which is there, came into you and changed and transformed your life, didn't it? Yeah. And mine too. Yeah. So you see, there is a resurrection power within us. Amen. Amen. We know it that, in that form, we know it. But a lot of things, that's just a, that's just a tip of all, of all the things that God really wants to reveal to us. Praise the Lord. I got to look at this. Another, another favorite scripture of mine, I'm going back and, and thinking about other messages I've preached on Resurrection Day. Only Matthew picks this up. I love this scripture. I love that this is an account of when Jesus raised from the dead. How many know that all the buzzing and stuff that was going around, uh, uh, they, they, the, they were trying to, the temple uh, officials were trying to bribe the Romans to say that the disciples had stolen the body. How many remember all the story? I mean, all through, and, and to try to cover this up. In other words, there was a great massive cover up. Uh, by the Pharisees and by the, by the temple scribes, all, all the, the, the temple workers and so on and so forth. The temple guards were involved in it. But the fact is, let's cover this thing up. Let's not that, get out that Jesus actually rose from this. So we'll make up a story and we'll say this. We'll say that the disciples snuck in the middle of the night. Of course, there's a problem for the Roman centurions with this story uh, who were guarding the tomb, who put a seal on it. They would have had to 
overpower the guards, break the Roman seal, so they automatically realize that they got to get the Romans involved in this. So listen, unless you want to riot on your hands, you're going to have to say that Jesus, that the disciples have stolen the body. Matthew blows all kinds of holes into why that will not work. And you'll find it in Matthew chapter 27. I love this. I just love the whole thing of it. But Matthew chapter 27, verse 52 says, And the graves, plural, graves were opened. The graves were opened. And listen to this. Many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, that's another term for die, death, were raised. And coming out of the graves, again, graves, after his, capital H, his resurrection, talking about Jesus' resurrection, <laughs> listen to this. They went into the holy city, that is Jerusalem, that's the only holy city referred to, because that's where the temple was. The holy city, and appeared to many. If I was, was there at the time, and I was asked or bribed to cover up this thing that Jesus rose from the dead, maybe we, maybe that it's a long shot. Maybe that would succeed. But what are you going to do about these other guys? Okay, who are these guys? They're the bodies of saints, so we know they're the righteous, that fell asleep or died previously. Would Abraham be included on that? Okay. Moses? Elijah? Elijah? Hmm. And you can keep on thinking. David? Because what happens is, in that day, not to get into that, I'll move on to some other things, but let me just give you this briefly. Hell wasn't like we think about hell today. Matter of fact, it's called in the Bible, Sheol. That's the, that's the word used, Sheol, means Abraham's, or Jesus called it Abraham's bosom. There was a place that was separate from punishment and torment, but they weren't in heaven. They were in a holding place called Sheol, that Jesus came and when he ascended to the Father, broke that place. Amen. And he emptied the contents of that place. So every saint, every believer, every righteous person that died before Christ was held in Sheol. Now, if you remember Jesus' story, he tells, remember Lazarus and the rich man? The rich man is a great gulf, a great chasm. Well, the rich man died in the other place, went to the other place, and Lazarus went to the, not the Lazarus that raised from the dead, but another Lazarus, a beggar, went to Abraham's bosom. And he's conversing back and forth to this gulf, and he's telling Abraham, let, let Lazarus put his finger, so I guess you have a finger in hell, uh, and let him touch the water and put it on my tongue, for I am in torment. I guess you have a tongue when you're in hell. Okay, that wasn't Sheol, that was Abraham's bosom, was not the same place that the rich man was, it was two places. And Abraham said this, he says, he cannot, because there's a great gulf between us and you. There's a separation between us and you. The people over here, that are in Abraham's bosom, is what it was called, Jesus was saying, cannot get to the people over here in torment. You died in your sin, unrighteous, you died as not unbelievers over here, Torment is part of the problem that you have to deal with for eternity. But Abraham here was in a different place. That's the place Jesus went and released all the saints. And Matthew brings it up. When Jesus rose from the dead, all these graves opened up. So you can see this huge, huge procession. We're talking thousands of years 
of, of saints. This huge procession on the way to the Father. But hey, while we're here, might as well take in some sights around Jerusalem. I don't know if they had a tour bus to organize that group. But it says this, he says, and they appeared to many. It wasn't a ghost thing, that this, a vapor that they vaporized. It was a thing where they, where they were actually there. They saw him face to face. It was a resurrection of all those people. Amen. So the power of resurrection that was in Christ, not only with Christ raised from the dead, but all the saints rose with him. It was a power great enough to empty out Sheol. Empty it out forever because the Bible says that Jesus took back the keys of death, hell, and a grave from Satan. No longer has those keys. Jesus has those keys in heaven today. I love that story. I just think it's great because you can try to explain away Jesus and the tomb and the resurrection all you want. But you can't get away from these guys. What are these? Who are you? Uh, You look familiar. Oh, I'm Abraham. You're Abraham. Which Abraham? The Abraham. The first one. The one that was Abram, and God made my name, put the H out of Yahweh in my name, made me Abraham. It's me. Oh, did you meet Noah? Moses, come here. Bring Aaron over here with you. I mean, can you see this group? And they said it, they appeared to many. It wasn't just the resurrection of Christ. Though that's what we're focusing on, but the resurrection of Christ caused a chain reaction of all the righteous that were in this holding place. And that holding place to this day does not exist. It is shut down. It is not purgatory. That's a man-made invention. It's not that. It's been emptied because Jesus now holds the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Now, you can be happy because Paul said this, when you die... To be absent of the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm going to hang on to that. I like that. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Let me take you just back just a little bit to give you some some information. And I got some some screen optics here to go along with it. I was studying on this this week, and I was just going over it and going over it. And God began to show me some things in this story. We are so in tuned to the traditions of these stories and the resurrection story and the cross and all these other things, that sometimes we miss some details. I like when God shows me the details uh, because there's always more to the story than what you know. There is. All of us. It's like that. Because what? We, we have the Bible that we call the living, it's called the living word. Why? Because it's continually growing and showing us different things. It's not like a novel where you sit down and read a book and you, well, I've read it or read it. No, 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 this thing keeps unfolding, and it keeps revealing things, and keeps showing us things. It's God's word. It's his living word. Amen? It's our covenant contract, but it keeps showing us things. And this is one of the things he began to show me. In John chapter 19, you can flip over there if you want to, and we read a lot in John uh, for this particular teaching. I like John's gospels in this. John chapter 19 and verse 33 to 34, it brings us back to the cross. Now, Jesus, if you know, was 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 front and center stage, nailed to the cross, miserable way to die. He was beaten, he was spit on, he was tortured to no end. He was nailed through the hands and through the feet and pierced in the side. I want to get to that in a minute. Because it was a day of preparation. Now, understand something about 
the day of preparation. This is during the Passover. There's lots of days of preparation. So we, there, there's still uh, uh, stories of theologians trying to figure out which day of preparation was because the day of preparation is also on a Friday before the, uh, uh, um, uh, what do you call it, the, the Shabbat. Uh, um, it's, so before Shabbat. So, but it just says the day of preparation. Let's leave, it, let's leave that for the, for the scholars. But anyway, the fact is this is the day of preparation. Uh, they crucified Christ. To get to back to the festivities, they wanted the three on the cross, Jesus and the two thieves, on the cross, wanted them to die quickly. We're not going to sit here and watch it. So what they did, I guess it was a Roman merciful act to do. Uh, however, it was cruel, but they broke the legs of the crucified so they could no longer push themselves up for a breath. And crucifixion, as they slumped down from being tired, they would, it would collapse the lungs, make it very difficult to breathe. So they would push up with their legs and take another breath. And this was the torturous end and how they ended between suffocation. Crucifixion was, besides the painful um, piercing, it was a suffocation also that they had to endure, almost like drowning uh, you know, in, in the atmosphere. But the fact is, so, so he would back and forth. So what they would do, they would break the legs so they could no longer push up. The problem with that with Jesus, because his, he was the Lamb of God. He was a sacrificial lamb, and everybody knows in Jewish law, you don't break any bones of a sacrificial lamb. So when they came to Jesus, they, this, is what they, this is what's recorded in John 19, but when they came to Jesus, verse 33, and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. So there was no broken bones in Jesus. And I often thought, why did Jesus die before the other two thieves on the cross? It seemed like he had the power of life. But you got to remember, this was the time that Jesus took on the sin, the sickness, the depravity of man all onto himself for a sacrifice. The weight of that had to be so tremendous that it actually brought a premature death to the body of Christ because it was laid upon him. That's one theory. That's just my theory, and you can come up with your own. But anyway, when they came to him, they saw that he was already dead. They didn't break his legs. But one of the soldiers did something very unusual. He took a spear in his hand, looking up at the cross, and he pierced the side of Christ. How many remember that from the story? It was still on the regular Resurrection Day story, okay? But what flowed out was something, something that isn't just ordinary, but what came out, and the Bible says immediately, he thrust the spear in, uh, he, the soldier pierced his side with his spear, and immediately blood and water came out. Very significant blood and water. Oh, I want to bring that out in a minute. So, but, the, but the fact is, so you get, you get the picture. The Roman soldier comes up. I guess as an act of mercy or whatever, he's going to pierce the lungs or, or, or stop the breathing by piercing his side or whatever in the rib side. But he, when he pierced it, what came out was blood and water. Hmm, interesting. Interesting. I was studying this this week. Now, of course, if you look at Zechariah, Zechariah says, In that day a fountain shall be opened up at the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for, the, for sin and uncleansliness. So Zechariah calls it a fountain. This was prophesied, by the way. Okay? In Ephesians, he said that, he might, that, that we are sanctified and cleansed by the washing of the water by the word. Two things. We got blood and we got water. We know blood is for redemption. What about the water? And then I begin to remember what God was showing me about the tabernacle. 
Amen? There are two places in a tabernacle. Let me give you a story. Jeff and you can put up the optics in a minute. Not yet. Okay. I, we have, I have pictures. I came, with, I came with visual aids this morning. Isn't it cool? Anyway, we got, but if you, you, when the, a person was to make a sacrifice for atonement, now back in the Old Testament, they didn't have redemption. They only had atonement. It only covered you for a year with the sin. Then the next year, you had to do it again and again and again and again. Jesus ended all that with his sacrifice. But anyway, so, there was a, so the, 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 the person, you or I or whoever it was, would take a lamb and it would examine it, make sure the lamb was perfect, no blemish, no problems with it, no broken bones, nothing wrong with the lamb, no gross or anything like that, and they would give it to the priest. The priest would meet them at the gate. Now you can bring up the optics, Jeff, the, the, of the tabernacle. Right there. You see this, can you see this? If I step aside, can you see this? You see the end there, that's the gate. What comes next after the gate? That's the altar. We'll get to that in a minute. And behind that, you see a, looks like a bird bath. Uh, not a bird bath. It's the brazen lever. And then you went into the holy place. And in, in that tent, there was a division called the holies of holies. The Ark of the Covenant, and that's where God's presence was. So if you were to bring a sacrifice, you, the priest would meet you at the gate. He would look over the thing because it's his life too. He would look over, to, over the, 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 the sheep or the, or the sacrifice. They would lay it onto the altar and they would shed his blood. Okay, you got the picture? There's the blood. Then the priest would go over to the lever, the brazen lever, and he'd wash his hands before he could go into the holies of holies and offer it to God. The blood is for the redemption of sin, but the water is for the cleansing. Now, what does it say in Ephesians? That we might be sanctified, and that he might sanctify, cleanse her, talking about the church, with the washing of the water by the word. So the reading of God's word is our water. This is what cleanses us. Uh, we go into the world. Uh, we don't plan on it. We, we're redeemed. We're, we're saved people. We go to heaven. How you want to, whatever you want to call it, we're saved when we go to heaven when we die. We're, we're, we're Christians. We're, we're followers of Christ. Uh, we're redeemed by the blood of Jesus. How many here are redeemed by the blood of Jesus? But in the world, because we still live in a fallen world, there are pollutions that get on us. There are things that Fears come on us. Worries come on us. Oh, you can list the whole things that come on us. Now, you're still a redeemed person, but you're subject to all this other stuff that gets on you. And what the Bible says, it says we're cleansed by the washing of the water by the word. Amen. Two things that came out of Jesus all of a sudden project back to the tabernacle to this optic here, Jesus uh, on the altar, of course, is the cross, sheds his blood for us, but what contains on the inside of him that was released, according to the prophet uh, Zechariah, would be released with a fountain of blood and water. The water will be left. Uh, so, what is that? so what happens, not only did blood come out for our redemption, but water came out too for our redemption. We don't talk about the water too much. The blood of Jesus has saved us. The blood of Jesus redeemed us, but the water that came out of Christ for a cleansing Amen. represents the Word. What was Jesus? He was made, he was a Word, according to John, he was a Word that was made flesh and dwelt among us. 
Correct? And out comes a... How many thought that was enlightening? I thought it was pretty good. I thought that was better preached than I just got response to. I'll tell you that right now. Praise, anyway, praise the Lord. So, so, so you're all here, right? Still here? Okay. So that, that's, that's the one optic. Can I talk about this for a minute? Because this is really cool. I dug a little deeper. How many want to know what I dug a little bit deeper? Okay, next week I'll tell you. No, I just, I'm serious. I'm messing with you again. Okay, let's go back to, well, the altar. Okay, I'll, I'll stop with the altar. The altar, how many horns are on the altar? Does anybody know what a horn means? Now, if, you, if you're thinking satanic things, forget it. The, de- the devil, he, he doesn't have a clue. But horns on the altar, this is, no, the altar, Jeff. Don't mess with me. Don't mess with me. We're at the altar. That's, that's, just, that's the wrong, wrong article there. Get, get, me back to the, get me back to the tabernacle. Quickly. Pastor, there you go. Okay, pray. The altar is right there. See, can you see? Am I standing away? Can you see the square part there? In, in the, that's the altar. And there's four things that come up like this. Are the horns of the altar? Horns are representative of authority. Why four? Because there are four compass points on the earth. That means God's authority comes in from all four directions. Everything around, everything that surrounds us, north, south, east, or west, is God's authority. And that's what the horns of the altar. Well, I, I, I mean, that's, that's a quickie uh, uh, as far as explanation. The altar is set there. They would take the lamb and they would put it on there for a burnt offering. The blood would be dripping down. The priest would be, have to slit the throat of the, of the lamb. And that was a sacrifice made in the Old Testament. All of this was pointing to Christ. Because the Bible says in Hebrews that Christ was the tabernacle. <laughs> so all this stuff is set up so for thousands of years God could give us an optic of what Christ was all about. It's just amazing to me. It gets better. I dig a little bit deeper. Let's move off the altar back onto now the brazen lever. Just a fancy word. It's made out of brass or bronze, actually bronze. And uh, it basically, the uh, uh, Bible says it was bronze. Uh, um, in if you look in Exodus chapter 38, verse 8, it said he made a laver of bronze and his base was bronze. Okay. Okay, good. It's bronze. It's cool. It's filled with water. It really looks nice. The priest comes over. He washes his hands. He cleanses his hands from touching the offering. He cleanses his hands and walks into the holies of holies and goes into the presence of the Lord. It has to be done this way. Has to, everything the priest has to do it right because if he don't, he could die walking into the holies of holies. So what they would do is they would tie a rope to the priest's ankle and he had bells on the end of his robe. So he had to keep those bells jingling the whole time he was in there so the people on the outside knew that he was still alive. If the bells stopped, they just pulled the rope and pulled the body out and they went to the next priest and said, okay, what was wrong with this guy? Well, he did something to break the law. That's how strict it was. But that's not what I want to focus in. I want to focus in on the brazen lever. This ain't good. Optics, good, good. That's exactly right. Yeah, that's cool looking. I like that picture. That's cool looking. So this was built... In the wilderness, I'm going to get back to Jesus in a minute. Just hang with me. This was built in the wilderness. Where do you get bronze in the wilderness? They left Egypt. The Egyptians had it. They had it too. Let me tell you where the bronze came from. It came from, okay, if you read on, keep reading on verse in Exodus 38. 
He made the laver of bronze and his base of bronze. Listen to this. From the bronze mirrors of the serving women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meetings. There was an offering being taken up, gold rings, so on and so forth. The serving women, now theologians and, and scholars don't, aren't quite sure what they were serving, but basically it could have been a watch, uh, a watch team over the tabernacle at night or whatever. But there was these women, and they say, we want to contribute. So what we're going to contribute to that, bre- that bronze labor that we need is we're going to take up our mirrors. Now, they didn't have glass back then. They had, what they had was they took bronze and they polished it and polished it and polished it, and it made a reflective surface to where you could see yourself. I'm thinking about this at the same time I'm praying, thinking about this. So basically, if I say this right, basically they gave up the reflective image for the image of God. They, something that would have been a, a treasure, because I, I studied this out, and the fact is, a woman, if a woman has a bronze mirror, she's wealthy. It's a wealthy thing to have. It's very expensive. It's very precious to her. The only mirror you have, I mean, you look at it and, you know, do, fix your hair with whatever, you, whatever women do in the mirror, you know, like you, did, like you do today, whatever they do. So, so this was something that was personal. This would have been something that was hers. It might have had etching and carving in it. It might have been a monogram. It could have been a fancy thing. And she looks at her mirror. She looks at her face. And she says, no, can I honestly use this thing knowing that God has need for it? So they gave it up as an offering. Nobody demanded it. Nobody, nobody shook them down for these things. But she gave it. I'm thinking, something that reflects your image. Remember last week we were talking about that we are mirrors for Christ and we reflect his image? (laughs) I love little details like this. Praise the Lord. But they took the thing that was very personal. They took the thing that was very meaningful to them, very expensive. And they said, you know what? I'm switching this image here for the image of God. Here, take it. And they melted it down and they took all the bronze and they made that. Now it became a, 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 a utensil or a, an article in the temple for washing and for cleansing. I just think that's so cool. I really do. What a sacrifice. When you have nothing, you're in the wilderness. You have no means of getting anything. When this was built in the wilderness, they were just, they were just nomads. They were just on the march. They didn't have businesses. They didn't, they didn't get to the promised land yet. Only thing that they have is what God gave them or what they could carry with them out of Egypt. So the fact that they carried these mirrors out of Egypt had to be a precious item. But they gave it up for something more valuable than what they could purchase. was a sense that I had something to do with building the tabernacle of God so God could reside with his people. And I just think it's so cool. Because Jesus, when they pierced his side, the blood and the water came out. He says, the blood is for your redemption, but the water is for your cleansing. We know lots about redemption and how to get saved and how to stay saved, but we know very little about cleansing. But the cleansing today, I mean, we can look at the social media. I mean, you can, you, in 30 seconds, you can get defiled. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, there's more stuff that needs to be cleansed. I mean, that stuff. Fear comes from different areas. Fear is a defilement of what God has given us and it interferes with our faith. That needs a cleansing. So how do we get this stuff clean? I want to get back to this cleansing thing. How do we clean this thing? 
washing of the water by the word. We sit down, and I, I said this before, I'll say it again. I sit down with the, with the word, whether it's on my Bible, whether it's on my iPad or my phone, it doesn't matter what form it comes in, I just start reading. And I learn to read and keep reading until he talks. And I tell you what, the presence of God is in this book. But it takes the time to set aside and to be diligent and to read this book. And it takes the cleansing because the pollution of the world can happen in 30 seconds. But God has given us a way to cleanse our mind and our thoughts because what happens, the filth of the world, the corruption of the world, begins to change our mind, that our mind changes our focus, and our focus changes our direction. So you see the problem with that. There's a good word right there you can write down. Amen. Praise the Lord. Anyway, can I get back to Jesus? Okay. Not yet. Not yet. You're doing good, Jeff. Not yet. Okay. In John chapter 20, and verses 6 and 7, it says, Then Simon Peter came and followed him and went to the tomb, and they saw the linen cloth lying there, and a handkerchief had been on around his head, not lying uh, with the linen cloth, but folded and put together in a separate place. Isn't it amazing when they went to the tomb, and they look in for the first time, there's more to this story. But when they look in for the first time, what they see, they see the grave claws. Maybe this is a good, I, I got this this morning. Can I share this as a side note for you? The grave claws, the tomb, where all this stuff come from? Joseph of Aramaeth was, was one of the uh, uh, devout Jews who followed Jesus as a disciple, but didn't say so because he was afraid of his Jewish counterparts. But he had authority. The other person was Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a guy that came to Jesus at night and was asking questions. Why did he come at night? Because he didn't want to be seen with Jesus to be persecuted by his, his peers. I call these guys COVID. COVID, in other words, not COVID, but COVID, like... Secretive. They're a secretive disciples. They don't let any of their peers know who they are. And I'm thinking, hmm, aren't you supposed to confess Jesus openly? Well, these guys didn't. Joseph Aramath was Aramath is a town, an all-Jewish town that is just due west of Tel Aviv today. Okay, if you I mean if you look at a map. So he's probably about 60, 70 miles from home, I'm just guessing, or not from home, from, from this sepulcher. But he's the one that owns the tomb. He set up a tomb there because every devout Jew is a dream of theirs when they die to be buried in Jerusalem or around Jerusalem or on the Mount of Olives or someplace. If you go to the Mount of Olives today, you'll see tomb, graves all over the place. That was, that's a, that's a, and a man of wealth and of, and, um, of um, prestige and influence would only have a tomb there. It's a garden tomb. There's a garden. It's, a, it's all set up for that. And he owns it. And he gives it to Jesus for the, for the burning of Jesus. Him and Nicodemus, the two COVID disciples there, nobody knows that they're disciples except them and, and, and Jesus. But the fact is that they, they took the body. They went to Pilate. And I got thinking about this this morning. They went to Pontius Pilate and says, give us the body. If that had been Peter, if that had been James or John, they would have been arrested and probably crucified right next, uh, the next day. But these two guys were very astute, very devout Jewish guys. Pilate thought nothing of it. He says, give them the body. Told the centurions, give them the body. If the body had been left within centurions, it would have been defiled. 
because they would have they already defaced. I mean, they whipped them and everything else. They weren't going to stop there. They gambled for the coat that Jesus had. They got it, so they got to take everything else and plus uh, make sport or mockery or whatever they. But instead, these two guys latched onto the body of Jesus and put him in the tomb. These are the same two guys that wrapped him, according to Jewish tradition, which a lot of the Jewish tradition came out of Egypt. So they wrapped the burn, not just laid cloth over him. That's, that's, that's a fallacy. They, they wrapped him and wrapped the head separate. What the Bible's given us a description, when Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't even disturb the grave claws. The one in the head was just folded up and put it on the side. In other words, is it? But that wasn't the case with Lazarus that I just shared the story with. They said Lazarus had to be unwound. Lazarus needed help after the resurrection. Jesus needed no help. Sometimes we need help after the resurrection. Get some of these stinking grave cloths on me. You know, the smell of the water. Get this stuff off of me. Hallelujah. Loose him and let him go. He can breathe now. Can't breathe all this stuff on him. Get this stuff off of us. Oh, that's another story. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta move on before I run out of time. But it says, it says the linen cloths were there. Now, here's the part. Mary, Mary Magdalene, the one that Jesus casted out seven demons out of this woman. Isn't it amazing that when he came into this world, he was born of a virgin, and the first woman to touch him was a virgin, pure, in every sense of the word, touched Jesus. Now, in his second birth, if I can call it that, his resurrection, birth again, now a woman that was defiled by the world, uh, uh, seven demons cast out of her, is now the first woman to latch on to him and to begin to hug him. Of course, he had to stop her because he was on his way. Remember, he was on his way to the Father first before he could come back to present the blood to the holy, the holy utensils were soiled since the sin of Adam, and that would cleanse it. That ended Sheol, and, that, and, and you got this procession. Don't forget about these guys that are raising the dead. And, and here, Mary stops, and it's amazing. She says she saw Jesus, but didn't recognize him as Jesus until he did one thing. He mentioned her name. She says, she says, sir, where have they done with, with, with the body? Where, uh, uh, tell me where it is so I can go get him. And he says to her, he says, Mary. And at that one word, she says, Jesus. Isn't it amazing? She didn't recognize him, but she understood when he said her name. Remember that. Remember, you may not see Jesus face to face, but you can hear him mention your name. Hallelujah. She looks in. Get ready, Jeff. <laughs> not yet. She looks in, talking about Mary. Now, the disciples have been in. They've been in. The disciples do. Okay, we see the claws. We see this. Okay, let's go out. Let's tell the other disciples. His body's gone. Uh, Is this a resurrection? They're they're running back. They're running every which way. Mary stays at the face of the tomb and just weeps. And she weeps and she weeps for Jesus. She looks up again into the tomb for the second time. She looks in the tomb and she sees a different sight. She sees where the body was laid. She sees where the grave cloths are laid out, undisturbed, all there. But now she sees two other figures. And the Bible says this, one at the head, in John chapter 20, verse 12, one at the head, two angels, one at the head, and one at the foot. They weren't there before. Uh, John didn't see them. Peter didn't see them. Only Mary saw them. And she looks in, 
And, and, she, and she looks at amazement. She said, but there they were. Where the body of Jesus had been laid. Can I show you another article of the temple? Now, Jeff. What she saw was where the body was laid and an angel at the head and an angel at the foot. I'll let it sink in for just a minute. Can I take you back a few thousand years? The Ark of the Covenant was what? The Ark of the Covenant was the throne of God, the presence of God is where God was. For all these thousands of years, God was painting a picture of what Mary Magdalene, the one that had seven demons cast out of her, would be there and what she would see in the tomb. The presence of God came up off of the throne of God and was now walking amongst them again. What's called in the middle of the, of the Ark of the Covenant, you have the two angels, one on each side, of course, the poles and the garden, we all have all that stuff. And it, but what's called on the bottom, uh, on the top of that, is the mercy seat. Jesus was the mercy seat. The place where he laid was the mercy seat. Now you understand what it says in Hebrews when Jesus was, at the, Hebrews 9 11 says, But Christ came as a high priest of good things to come, with greater and more perfect tabernacle that not made with hands. Paul said he was a tabernacle, but he's not made with hands. Now here's the real tabernacle. The one made with hands was pointing to him. Now inside the, inside the box, inside the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant, were three things. The tablets of stone that God etched the commandments on and gave to Moses, that was in there. A jar full of manna, that was a food that God rained down from it. And the miracle of, the, of Aaron's rod budding almond rod that had sprouted. It was dead, but it sprouted. Symbol of showing life. You had the word of God. You had the provision of God. And you had the miracle of God contained in that box. <laughs> now, can I suggest to you this morning that the tomb, let's go back to the tomb, has now the two angels on either side. He's saying, here is your mercy seat, which is now the presence of God and the miracles of God that were contained are now lo no longer contained, but have now been loosed and freed. And they're in Jesus walking around. And it ended the system of sacrifices. The Jews don't know why. If you ask, if you ask the Jew, why don't you sacrifice today? Because they don't believe Jesus. Why did you sacrifice? Not all by me. Some, 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 uh, they say, well, because there's no temple. Hmm, really? Abraham didn't have a temple, but he still sacrificed. They don't know. The reason they don't is because Jesus fulfilled the scripture, and the scripture no longer is needed for sacrifices. Because the blood and bulls of goats will no longer wash away the sin. So the blood, blood sacrifices of our animals now becomes more of a cultic, satanic ritual than it does holy. Because Jesus was the only holy blood that could do that. So everything up to that time was atonement. atonement Pay attention to the word, have to be done every year. Now, when Jesus rose up, here's the good news it is redemption, not atonement. Atonement is temporary, redemption is permanent. Can never be undone, can never be taken away. Whether you believe it or not, it's still going to be good. Well, I don't believe this stuff. Good. You have a will, you can do, believe what you want. The fact is, it will never bother you what you don't believe. But if you are a believer, this means a life of you. This is our life. This is our eternal. This is who we are. 
This is what we talk about. This is all we can think about, especially on a day like today. Jesus had a connection with the tabernacle I ever saw before. If that isn't bad enough, Jesus, Jesus plays these guys. Can I suggest to you that he was having fun with the disciples? See, we get all religious and all serious. Well, yes, you know, the blood of God and redemption of God. Jesus was having a party. Especially the guys that rode to Emmaus. Remember that? He just popped in the group and said, hey, how you doing, guys? You know, and they were telling him all about Jesus. Haven't you heard of him? And Yeah, yeah, okay. See you later. He does something else. The disciples are now deathly afraid that the same thing is going to happen to them. Boy, Pilate's going to like this, and, and the, I mean, they're going to come looking for us. Now we're wanted men. So they're hiding in this room. They're hiding in this place, scared, just fearful that Pilate is going to be after them next, and they're going to be the next ones crucified. So what does Jesus do? They're fearing. They're in fear. So Jesus helps them out. He walks through the wall and appears before them. Now, I don't know what that would do to your fear. That would send mine to a new level. <laughs> Whoa. And Jesus is there. Now, Thomas is missing this thing, but he's not going to leave Thomas out either. So he does it again. Only this time, Thomas is there. And he tells Thomas, he says, Thomas, he says, stick your finger in the holes in the nail mark on my hand. Thrust your hand in my side. The hole is still there. He says, be not faithless, but believe. What was Thomas's problems? Wasn't he there when he saw the miracle? What about the raising of the dead that he saw with Jesus? What about the, the leper? All the lepers that were healed were crying out loud, one creative miracle after another. And he was there when they were breaking the bread and, and took the little boy's lunch and fed the multitude with 12 baskets left over. Where was he? He had to see those things. But what happened is those things became, listen to me, church, became so commonplace that the one thing that was unthinkable that they would ever lose a man like Jesus, and death to them was a loss, not a gain, and that to have Jesus die, they could not get past the death to even understand that Jesus told them about his resurrection. They couldn't get past the idea it was a mental block and Thomas says, I don't care what you guys say. I will not believe. I will not believe. I, I'm, I'm dealing with my own problems here. I'm dealing with my own problems. Thomas had no problem believing in miracles, as long as somebody else was doing them. Thomas had no problem believing this, believing that, believing the word, believing what God said, believing what's coming. He had no problems believing in the Messiah. He was Jewish. He would believe in the Messiah. Yes, we're going to have a Messiah someday. But what he couldn't get his head wrapped around in any shape or form was a the problem and the reality, the reality of the resurrection. He could not get over the reality. Of the, no, 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 this can't happen. No, 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 this is too terrible. So Jesus says, here I am. I'm going to bring this reality. You are witnessing the power of resurrection standing before you now. Take your finger and stick it in the hole. Feel it. Feel that I'm flesh and bone. He didn't say flesh and blood. He said flesh and bone. His blood was poured out. Handle me so that you know that flesh and bone is not a ghost. It's not a spirit. It's not a hallucination. But I'm real. Handle me, he said. And be no longer faithless. 
He said, and blessed are those that have not seen me yet believe. Thomas, you have believed because you've seen me. Hallelujah. Thomas believed, and he fell down. Amen. Help me by this morning. That's a Resurrection Day sermon. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> so all the stuff that I've given you, if we unfold all this, including the mirror and the image and all the things that we saw, and maybe you might be one of you might be a Joseph or a Nicodemus. Well, you know, I don't shy. You know, I got my peers, and you know, uh, if I tell her I'm a Christian, you know, the fact is, though. They couldn't hide it. They couldn't cover up when it came to their part where they were needed. When it came to the part that only they could do at the time, at the time, it wouldn't have worked out the same with Peter and the rest of the disciples that they everybody knew as disciples. But these two coverts came in. It tells me the mercy of God. Isn't it amazing that when Nicodemus came to Jesus, Jesus never got offended at night. It, he came at night. Why did he come at night? So nobody saw him. It was, it was, a, it was a stealthy thing, and a, a secretive thing. Jesus says, well, what is this? I mean, come on. Yeah, really? So you you, you want to know all the, the, the things uh, about life and salvation, but you don't want anybody to know that you know them? He could have said all those things, but he didn't. He never got offended. He said, Nicodemus, he said, a man must be born again. Nicodemus, the big... Uh, I mean, devout in the word, the memorization of all the stuff he has, everything they had going for him, uh, all the prestige and all the, all, all the, uh, you know, the whole authority thing of the temple he had going for him. He said, I, how do I get born again? Do I crawl up in my mother's womb and, and, and start all over again? And Jesus says, no. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. And he talked about a spiritual rebirth. He said, no man can enter the kingdom of heaven unless he's born again. And he preached that to Nicodemus. Those words had to ring in his head. We're going to do something for this man. He helped us both. And we're too ashamed to tell our friends about this man. So let's do what we can do. Let's use our authority. Let's use our position, our prestige. And let's go get his body and give him a decent burial. And Joseph said, I'll, I'll donate my tomb. Had to be expensive because it was a garden tomb. Had to be valuable. These were valuable things that they give up. Things that they had for themselves, personal. Like the mirrors that the women had for themselves. They give up for the image of God was more important than their own image. Amazing. I bet they never regretted a moment of it. There is nothing in my personal life that I have ever given up for God that I ever wanted back. Amen. There's nothing that I, I, I can, everything that I, that's, I can say is good has happened to my life happened to me through church. Amen. I don't know where other people come from. Ah, church is born. I don't know where they come from. But church is where I meet God. Church is where I commune with God. Church is where we recognize God. And I can block out the, the, the unbelief and the pollutions of the world, and I can be cleansed with the help of brothers and sisters like you. Amen. We can come together. We can be cleansed. Amen. That's why it's very important. That's why the devil tries so hard to keep you out of church. And there's a devil, by the way. God's not keeping you out. God, God has never told one person, you're going to church too much. You know, it's going to affect your brain you go to church too much. 
God's never said that. The devil says, yeah, it's going to affect your brain, which is going to affect your heart, which is going to give you authority, and it's going to kick me out of your life. That's how the devil looks at it. Oh, sure. As soon as you get built up and cleansed, now all of a sudden, now you're in God's favor again. Oh, yeah, where am I going to, as far as the devil's talking? Oh, now where does that leave me? Oh, great. I'm going to be outside looking in. You better believe it. About as fast as I can say the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. I want to give you one more key this morning. Praise the Lord. Amen. Can I, let me end with this. This is my last statement. Promise. We have three closings. This is the American way. This is my last statement. Breakthrough begins. I mean, looking for a breakthrough in some way, shape, or form. Breakthrough begins when we stop being impressed by the size of our problems. The larger the problem seems to us, the smaller Christ becomes to us. And that is the conclusion of my Resurrection Day message for Covenant Word Church, Key West, Florida, and for all those watching by live stream. Amen. Praise the Lord. So if you need cleansing this morning, if you need whatever you need forgiveness this morning, praise the Lord. I'm going to remain behind as I close out the service. And if you want prayer, we'll be here to pray for you. Amen. But if I want you to take away from this service this morning, listen, Christ is going to bring in a brand new day. Don't, you don't have to go back to the old same old, same old. And I'm not talking about your husband or wife. That's not the same old, same old. Uh, yeah, okay. Praise the Lord. But no, you know what I'm talking about. Amen? The same old fears, the same old worries, the same old defeats. Nothing ever good happens to me. All, you know, all this other stuff. It's a lie from the pit. The lie from the pit. If a demon-possessed man that had so many demons, they named him legions because he had so many. His demons had demons on his own will and reconnaissance, could throw himself at the feet of Jesus, would stop on you. Amen? That's all he could do. I mean, the demons had him locked up and everything else, but man, uh, they, they couldn't stop that man's will of running toward Jesus and throwing himself at his feet. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for the church that had listened Intently, Father God, I think it, let this be some, maybe it's a new awakening of revelation, maybe it's awakening of the church, maybe it's some, just, maybe a different perspective. That's all we needed this morning, maybe just a different perspective, looking at the same thing from a different angle. But Lord, let us make this commitment to you this morning that our problems and all the stuff that the devil brings up will never be glorified again and never be bigger than you. We will never again speak of cancer with reverence. Or any sickness or disease with such a great reverence. Oh my goodness. No, Lord, let's change our outlook, change our, our viewpoint to yours. Let us get rid of the brazen or the bronze mirrors of our own. Let's give them over to you and take on the image of Christ in Jesus' name. Everybody agree that prayer said? Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.